Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of Exponential Wisdom, which is only possible because of the teamwork that I have with Peter Diamandis. And Peter, what I have really zeroed in on over the last year, especially because of the COVID and the pandemic occurrence, is the extraordinary jump in human teamwork which you will never know about by reading the mainstream news. Yeah. You know, we talk about technology. We talk about AI. We talk about all of these things transforming our businesses and our lives. But most of the implication is in the transformation of how we work with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think just to start with kind of almost miraculous territory is how fast the vaccines showed up. Yeah. Once there was a real commitment on the part of people who can write checks, people who can eliminate red tape, that had happened very, very quickly. And you were more on the inside of this than I was because you're actually involved in a company that's looking beyond COVID from a vaccine standpoint. And let's just deal with viruses, period. And let's not just you know deal with one virus. Let's look at it. So you've got sort of a 360 degree inside of what teamwork is possible when you're not prevented by lack of money, you're not prevented by, you know, lack of agreement, regulatory agreement. It's true. I mean, one of the things that is a bright spot for the last year in the pandemic was the speed at which the world reacted. The ability, and I remember the earliest days, oh my God, we need masks, we need ventilators, we need oxygen machines. And people created virtual companies and virtual teams on, on the internet to come up with designs for ventilators. And it was amazing. I mean, we were getting ready to launch a ventilator X prize. And even without the prize there as the incentive, there were literally crowdsourced designs for ventilators that were then people were, were making available 3D printing designs that could be 3D printed locally and mm -hmm. You know, or here's a design for a ventilator made out of automotive parts you could use in Africa. I mean, it's extraordinary response. And to your point, we went from a conversation on a phone call in mid-March to a vaccine company raising the seed capital, the Series A, going from 30 vaccine candidates for COVID-19 to a top one, and within a year being in phase two and phase three clinical trials from a company with a dead start, let alone from a Pfizer or Moderna, and just the speed at which things have been happening. One of the things I think in terms of this new teamwork approach is I'm now open and willing to hire people almost anywhere on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to find someone who happens to live in Los Angeles or where the company is headquartered. And I'm okay mm -hmm. with somebody who's in New York or Portland or in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that opens up a massive amount of talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the things is that I was kind of born with teamwork genes. You know, I'm a fifth child in a big family. And one <laughs> of the things you know when you're number five is that you're not number one, you're not number two, you're not number three, and you're not number four. <laughs> so right off the bat, you try to look for places where you could be useful that you would be included. So I've had a passion for teamwork, and I've had an enormous amount of teamwork experience, you know, in sports, you know, in 
school activities and everything. And almost everything that I've done in life has improved my teamwork skills. And one of the things that I'm thinking, you know, and we've talked about this from the beginning of A360, that I think that there's a reciprocal growth of two things, technology and teamwork. And that if you think about technology, where the technology came from, originally it was teamwork that became so predictable and so repeatable that you could automate it. I mean, you think about Mm -hmm. things that were done by hand 300 years ago that are completely automatic right now. We have a filtration, just a fantastic facility about 10 blocks from our house here. It was built in the 1930s. And it actually provides about a third of the water of Toronto. It comes out of Lake Ontario. Mm. And then they have this 16-stage filtration process that pulls the water in from the lake. And this provides about a third of the entire water of a 6 million population city. And there's about five people who are responsible for making sure that the dials are saying the right thing. And it's this amazing place. It's beautifully architecturally, it's beautiful and everything, but it's just machines working. Well, at one time, all that filtration was done by human beings, sure. you know, and not sure. very much of it. You know, it's the whole thing. Well, technology is going to put people out of work. I said, well, if the human beings aren't doing anything useful, they'd be put out of work anyway. It's not technology doing it. It's that they're just not doing useful things. But I think the level of human teamwork has taken a jump as the means of technology of communicating between people has taken a jump. I see both of them always taking a jump upwards. I'd like to ask you and share my, what are your tools for increasing collaboration using Zoom during this time? What's changed over the last year and what tricks or processes have you started utilizing that creates a better teamwork that other entrepreneurs could start adopting? Well, I think the big thing is just the acceptance that you can do teamwork. I mean, certain types of teamwork. If it's manual teamwork, of course, it's different. But if it's conversational teamwork, if it's communication, creativity teamwork, I would say that teamwork on Zoom is easily two or three times better than in-person teamwork. First of all, nobody had to travel to get together to talk. But the other thing, there's a preciseness about Zoom, which you don't get in person. And one of the things is, it's almost impossible to explain why you're late. (laughs) That's great. No, 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 seriously, I couldn't find parking spots. Oops. Oh, oh, geez, you know, I mean, you should have seen the 401 this, I mean, I, you know, I left 15 minutes early, but, so we had this entire language that was explaining why you weren't there, you know? Well, with Zoom, I said, well, where were you? You were in the kitchen, it's 20 feet away, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, So Dan, one of the things that you do that I've adopted as well, when I'm having a larger group is getting them into a Zoom room right away mm-hmm. to break the ice. Like, you know, you start the Zoom and you've got maybe of 30 members of your team there and you say, okay, let's go into a Zoom room right away of three or four people and address this question. Can you speak about why you do that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't drive any meeting with statements like I'm not imparting knowledge to them. Um, converting knowledge into an open-ended question, you know, for example, we have four freedoms. 
that we talk about freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationship and purpose. So yesterday I had about 40 clients in for a two hour workshop. And I said, last 12 months since Zoom started, how have you improved your freedom in these four areas? and what's possible over the next 12 months, and then who are the who's that would become really important now to help you get greater freedom. And that's all finished about six minutes after we started the medium, and then I take them into breakout groups. And then they go in and everybody shares their knowledge, and then they come out and they're all warmed up. I did a podcast last week and somebody said, I don't get it. He said, all of your clients are entrepreneurs, And, you know, a lot of them are impulsive. A lot of them are, you know, what's classically called quick start individuals. And yet you have these enormous intricate methods. So how do you get people who hate other people's methods to be in your methods? (laughs) And I said, we only use the methods to talk about them. I said, for eight hours, the only topic that they're working on is actually them. So I think that teamwork, you have to really support the individuality of everybody on the team first to tell them where they are with something and to get them confident about that they're really operating, then put them together as a group, and then they can start actually creating new things, okay? So the whole pyramid, top-down pyramid model of organizing human beings is dead. It's all networks now. It's networks. I'll tell you, one of the things that I do in my... Abundance 360 meetings with my team. And that team is about eight people. So it's not a large group, but Mm -hmm. I will start the meeting where we'll go around and ask everybody to say who they're grateful for on the team. Yeah. And, you know, individual will say, I'm grateful for everybody. No, no, pick one person. What do they do? Why are you grateful? And when you start that kind of a conversation, it really shifts the mindset of people from a complaining to a sense of gratitude. And it, elevates the level of the conversation for the rest of the hour. Yeah. Well, Peter, with your vaccine endeavor, which was a new company that was created, what was the teamwork like for you actually being part of the team there? Because Well, it was, wow. So first of all, so there was a pre-existing company that amazing couple, Mei Mei Hu and Lou Reese had been operating for 10 years. And that was a vaccine platform, was a technology to create vaccines to actually address chronic disease in the body. They had built vaccines around Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, hypercholesteremia, migraines, muscle loss, bone loss. But that same platform could work for COVID-19. So I got a call from Lou and Mayman and say, what do you think should we do? I said, yes, let's start a new company, raise the capital. And it was very rapid. Mm-hmm. But then we needed to build a team around that for people. Mm-hmm. And just reaching out for superstars and its creative chaos in one sense. Yeah. You know, one of the things that did happen though is we created a capitalist commune at one point. So while Zoom was great, Lou and Maymay and John Harrison and a few others, we actually co-located and traveled together as sort of an immunity, you know, it was, it was the families Bubble. together yeah. and lived and worked this because the speed was so mm-hmm. and then that core, we then had conversations with people in Taiwan and China and Europe and throughout the US moving this forward. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen the speed of something because the need was so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, first of all, the possibility for great, enjoyable teamwork has expanded exponentially as we've moved from a pyramidical way of structuring 
human activity. You know, I was looking at some statistics in 1955. GM was, you know, one of the top 10 corporations in the world in 1955. And from the CEO's office to the factory floor was 19 levels of management. Wow. And the thing was, a message from the top to the bottom got distorted at each level of management. So not only was it slow, but it was faulty. You know, you still see this in government. I mean, governments are the, they're the last living dinosaurs from the 1950s. You can have a 40,000, 50,000 person corporation now, but it's all nodes and networks, and it's all electronically connected around the planet. So 40,000 people doesn't tell you you have a bureaucracy. It just tells you, that you're probably operating in hundreds of small teams that are interacting with each other. The average size company, registered company in the United States in the last 25 years has gone from the average of 25 people to 12 people. Yeah. All incorporated companies and divide them into the number of people. And the reason is that technology has made up for the missing people. And it's also enabled a flattening of the organization, right? So Zoom and Slack as two examples and Salesforce, which bought Slack and HubSpot mm-hmm. and all of these platforms enable very versatile, very quick, very agile. There's no excuses of why you didn't know something or how you get access to the data. And so it's a great flattening of the organization for sure from your 19 levels. I think about, you know, it's one or two levels for a lot of groups. And then you've got folks like Jeff Bezos, who organized his company into what he called the two pizza rule. Any team that can't be fed by two pizzas is too large, mm-hmm. right? In other words, uh, I want teams of six, seven, eight people, because when it's that small, there's no CEO of that group. There's no levels of management. You can have a conversation and diversity of thought. And here's one of the other advantages of using Zoom. And this is what Keith Ferrazzi Uh, another dear Mm -hmm. friend and coach does, he has something called collaborative problem solving. And what he says is, if you got a team of like 12 people or 20 people and you have a problem in your company, something you want solved, Mm -hmm. if you have a single conversation as the entrepreneur, the CEO to the group, it's like two people are talking and 18 people are listening. He says, don't do that. Instead, break the group up into groups of three or four in Zoom rooms and pose the problem to now five different groups or six different groups and ask them to come back with a solution and then go around and ask for everybody's solution. And you get lots of diverse Mm -hmm. ideas because people who are normally quiet would put forward their ideas. So this collaborative problem solving Mm -hmm. is really useful. Yeah, I would say the biggest breakthrough tool we've had, and you saw it a month or two ago, was this new one, which I call Certainty Uncertainty, okay? It's even gone further since I've seen you last time. And I say, pick a really big goal that you haven't been able to actually trigger yet. You haven't been able to go into action. You keep thinking about it. You think about it at night. You think about it on weekends. But it hasn't gone into action If it really worked, what would be the great breakthrough, the great advantage of having this breakthrough? And then in one column, write down the five things that you're absolutely certain why this will work. Okay, this will work. And then you have a line that says the border. And then you go over and you say, 
write down the five things that you're really uncertain about and you just don't know it. So what I have, Peter, is I tell people, now when you go into your discussion group, take about a minute the possibility and what you're certain about and take about four minutes and explain all your uncertainties and watch what happens to the conversation. And the room goes crazy. Well, Peter, I know somebody who knows exactly what you're doing. And all of a sudden, what I discovered on among human beings, people who are certain get no help from other people. But people who are uncertain get massive amounts of help from everybody. Wow, that is brilliant. I definitely see that. I mean, it's the ability to ask for help. You know, when you make yourself vulnerable and ask for help. Well, I tell people, even if you hate the person, you can't keep yourself from helping them. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. And I think the reason is you can only be a hero to someone else if they're uncertain. You can't help out a certain person. Yeah. It's impossible to help them. It's certain. It's all wrapped up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're not open to it. Yeah. And we all want to be the hero in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So what we're doing with the free zone, I have little two-hour ones. So I have seven of them every quarter. Uh And I bring somebody who's been thinking about free zone into the meeting with veteran free zone people. They come in, we have an exercise that involves everybody and it's some sort of thinking. And then the second hour, I say, we've got a visitor here today and he's got a or she's got a certainty uncertainty, and she's going to explain the possibility real quick. You'll get it in about 10 or 15 seconds. She'll say everything she's certain about, but then she's going to tell you everything she's uncertain about, and the whole room goes crazy for an hour. That's great. I can see that. I saw a process like this that Tony Robbins had used at one of his business mastery events where you got into groups of four individuals, and then you explained your biggest problem and then went around the group, and they try to give you a different point of view or ideas or solutions and so forth. So, and your biggest problem is something you need to be uncertain about how to solve it. The entrepreneurs have a hard time with this. And if you go back to your early days as an entrepreneur, we're usually alone when we become an entrepreneur. I'm still in my early days of becoming an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. But here's the thing. You have to be able to communicate a certain amount of certainty, even though you don't know anything. Of course, you have to project confidence to get the capital or the team. Yeah, but here's the thing. Confidence is an internal quality. Uncertainty has to do with something outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. I can be confidently uncertain. Yep, I can see that. I mean, your X prizes, aren't they a combination of certainty and uncertainty? Yeah, you know, we're certain that this is the finish line, but we're uncertain how to get there. Yeah. 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 You talked about Kennedy with the moonshot, very famous moonshot speech in 1961. What a lot of people don't realize, his moonshot thing went on for twice as long as just talking, you know, by the end of the decade, we're going to land a man on the moon and bring him back safely. And then he went on to say, we don't have any rockets that can do this right now. We have no idea how we're going to do it. We have no idea how to do this. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this. And what happened as a result of him saying all the things that they didn't know how to do? It basically got people dreaming and excited about how do you solve the problem. And everybody already had a piece of something that could be added to the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. So my sense is that uncertainty really drives the best teamwork. 
And so going back to, again, the revolution in teamwork right now, I think that level of uncertainty inside a collaborative Zoom problem solving is where that mix occurs great, where you can surface ideas. Because the problem is when you're in a multi-layered structured organization, you only hear from the people you're used to hearing from. Yeah. Right? And one of the things that's so clear is you don't know how to think other than the way you know how to think. So if you can bring new ideas into the conversation, right? I'm fond of saying the day before something is truly a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. And so where are crazy ideas emanating in your organization? Yeah. And can you have those conversations without shutting them down? Yeah. These are important parts of our teamwork revolution. You know, I've been thinking about one of my little books and to have a mind that's bigger than your brain. So I make a distinction between the brain that you're born with, which is sort of your thing you're born with. And what I've noticed is that the smartest people who impress me are the people who can use their brain to access other people's brains. Yeah. There aren't people who have an IQ of 170 and nobody understands what they're talking about. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. It's individuals who are able to use who, not how effectively. Yeah, They have a clear vision of what is possible, right? In our next podcast, let's maybe talk about my conversation with Elon. He's a yeah. perfect in that regard where he uses what's called first principle thinking to yeah. say what is possible, not what exists, but what is possible? Is it possible to create lithium-ion batteries at this low enough price to enable a battery economy? And he'll look at, okay, well, how much lithium, how much carbon, how much iron, how much nickel, what's in a battery, and, and what should a battery cost based upon the weight of those components? Oh, it should be 30 times cheaper. We need to just innovate to get ourselves there. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. once that vision of what's possible, now how do you build a team Mm -hmm. to implement that, right? Yeah, when you look at how long it takes to get things done today, there's some references from the 1920s and 1930s. So in the 1920s, they announced a contest for the tallest building in the world. New York's a good place to do it because it's based on rock. The entire city's based on rock, so you don't have a shaky landscape. So you had a race between the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building. And the Empire State Building is 102 stories, and it was built in 56 weeks, start to finish, bottom to top, 56 weeks. Essentially, at the end, they were just knocking out a fully formed story, two of them every seven days. Crazy. The Pentagon, which is still the largest office building in the world, was built in 18 months, start to finish. The Hoover Dam at that time and for a long time after, the largest dam in the world, start to finish, including diverting two rivers, was built in six months. I mean, you can't get building permits in 18 months these days. It's crazy. Yeah. Manhattan Project, from the time Einstein went to talk to President Roosevelt until the bomb was dropped, was six and a half years, and they had 300,000 people working on it. And when Roosevelt died in... May of 1945, Truman became the president. He was the vice president of the United States. And the secretary of war came to see him. And he says, Mr. President, there's something I have to tell you. And it was the first time 
that President Truman knew about the Manhattan Project that had been going on for six years. That's amazing. Six years. So why was there teamwork at that level back pre-technology and things got tangled and are now finally moving back into speed, right? I mean, it feels like stuff was moving very fast back then. Yeah. Uh, first of all, clarity of vision at the top is what we're going to do. Yes. This is what we're going to do. You know, well, Kennedy, I mean, it took eight years. Yeah. He said, we're going to do it in a decade, but they did it in eight years. Yeah. He just said, this is what we're going to do. You know, he's not given much credit for it, but Trump got on the phone to all the pharmaceutical companies and he said, Whatever money you need, we'll provide the money. Whatever red tape you need cut, we'll cut the red tape. Let's get a vaccine really fast. So I think that when people feel that the highest leadership is totally for it, they just go for it. You know, in my second book, Bold, I wrote about what happened at Lockheed in their skunk works operation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that was fascinating, right? And one of the things that was interesting was in the Lockheed Skunk Works, when they were building like the SR-71 or the U-2 spy plane and so forth, they had, mm -hmm. there's no computers then, it's paper design, right? They had the designs for the plane in the middle of this giant hangar, and anybody could go and make a change, but you had to sign your change, you're responsible. So you didn't make a change in the design unless you're absolutely positive, but it got rid of the bureaucracy. And because the Skunk Works was literally isolated from the rest of the organization, they were in a ability to try crazy ideas that the traditional engineering organization of Lockheed didn't like tell them they were crazy and stop them from doing. So there are tricks, and yeah. I, I see this now in moonshot I find organizations. Deadlines and budgets help too, because it wasn't what the fighter plane, the one seventeen or the one fifteen. They said you have to use 80% of pre-existing parts. Hmm. The budget can't be over this much. And, you know, you're in competition with other companies and the winner gets the money. <laughs> you know, I think you have to make the stakes crystal clear and not way off in the future. Yeah. I never start any project that can't be completed in 90 days. I like that. That gives you clarity of timeline and focus for sure. Mm -hmm. When I think about what the technologies are going to enable in teamwork going forward, for me, the next revolution is going to be the spatial web. We're mm -hmm. not there yet, but VR and AR, where I can be in a room together and on the walls, we have all of our past podcasts and we have data about what people enjoyed listening to and so forth, where we're in a three-dimensional space. You feel like mm -hmm. I'm there. And we have incredible tools. So I think that's coming in the next two years. We just experimented a little bit with it this year at A360. Yeah. But it's going to get better and better, especially as Apple releases their technology and the next version of Oculus comes online. You know, the people who really are already doing this, but it's a secret, is the special ops military. Oh, for sure. That when they do a raid, they have a three-dimensional version of where they're going in. They rehearse in virtual reality. I've got a client right now, and he's actually in the blockchain business, and he's working with energy companies across the United States. But he did 120 raids in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he said, you're 80 90% rehearsed before you ever start the action. He says... Yeah. And he said, you'd be amazed at some of the technology. And it comes out of DARPA, you know, DARPA 
supplies a lot of the military. It might be interesting for Abundance 360 next time to get a military person to talk about all the ways in which the military for crucial situations and everything. They already have this advanced technology. I had a chance to reconnect a friendship with a guy named Palmer Lucky. Palmer was the inventor of the Oculus that he then sold to Facebook. They sold it for $2 billion. I love the fact they turned down a billion dollars from Facebook for a company that was like a year and a half old. And it's like, oh my God, what the, the cojones on those guys to then come back. Anyway, he's gone from his work in VR to creating a large defense company mm-hmm. using drones and VR and others. So I was thinking about bringing him to A360 next year. Well, the soldier of the future is not a human soldier. Yeah, for sure. Or it's a human-machine interface, yeah. Yeah, the fighter pilots. 80% of the cost of a fighter pilot is that you have to make it livable for a human being. Yeah. You can do right turns if it doesn't have a human being in it. I was on a platform about six years ago with the last ace. This is the last American pilot to shoot down five enemy planes. He says, I'm the last one. There will never be another me. (laughs) And he said, I've been to the factories and I've seen the fighter pilots. And he said, the cost and everything of having a jet plane drops by 60% once you don't have a human being in it. Those pesky meat sacks. I think we can't leave this subject of the revolution in teamwork without speaking about AI because AI will be your teamwork partner, right? Yeah. You know, I think a decade or two from now, AI will be replacing most all jobs in AI robot collaboration. But between now and then, especially this decade ahead, it's going to be about AI and humans working together. And AI will be your team partner in that regard. And there's that great Four Seasons quote that you shared with me. Do you remember the quote? Yeah, you systematize everything that's predictable so you can humanize everything that's Exceptional, yeah. That's exceptional, yeah. I totally believe it, but if you think of the GM model with their 19 levels, my sense is that the people who are going to be gotten rid of are not the street-level people. It's the people who are in all the layers between the top, and it's amplified decision-making, it's amplified communication. It's My sense is that there's an extraordinary number of overeducated underachievers in the world right now. Okay, that's interesting. No, they have college degrees, and it's a lot of theory, but they actually can't do anything. They can't stock a shelf in a supermarket. They can't deliver a package to your door and everything. I think that actually employment among working class people has gone up. But I think in the middle, the middle is getting wiped out. They were supposed to be middle people. And I think it's not the bottom, it's not the top that's getting wiped out by Mm. automation. It's the middle. Interesting. Well, we're going to find out. I remember when Tesla created their new robotic factory, it started to fail because it was too automated. And they Mm -hmm. made the false prediction of what could be transferred to robots. Well, the other thing is teamwork is fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love teamwork. You know, I love creating stuff. You know, I love creating stuff. I mean, you're creating teamwork with your X prizes. How many teams get together and have fun trying to win a prize? Yeah. Well, a lot. In fact, we just launched, you know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, our largest prize ever, 
$100 million prize for removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere funded by Elon Musk. And we now have hundreds and hundreds of teams in the first week or two. It's crazy. I've had one of my employees saying, man, oh man, I want to go start a team. Can I start a team? I was like, oh, well, let's talk about it. You know, I don't want to lose you, but if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So, well, pal, this is a fun conversation yeah, yeah. on teamwork. Yeah. Maybe in our next episode, let's dive into this largest prize in human history and mm-hmm. what is one of the wealthiest people on the planet, Elon Musk, like mm-hmm. to work with. He's an interesting person, to say the least. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. See you then. Okay. Take care.